Welcome to the Solomon's Porch Podcast, the podcast from the worship experience of Solomon's Porch at Valdosta First United Methodist Church. We want you to be encouraged and inspired in your faith journey. So sit back and relax, unless you're driving or using heavy machinery, and enjoy. Good morning. It's good to see you all. I'm glad you're here today. If this is your first time, I want to say again, welcome uh, that you're here today and worship with us. Uh, We want to lift up the name of the Lord, and we're going to do that today. We're going to be looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 26, and we're looking at something that Jesus is experiencing. And uh, today, as we're in this series called Up, as you saw in in the bumper video there, we've been talking every week about something with the word up. The first week, we talked about giving up excess on this journey to Easter. We talked about giving up indifference, and last week in our unity service, we talked about taking up the charge to do what Jesus did, and that it was to care and to share. And uh, today we're talking about taking up the challenge, and when you hear that word challenge, you might think that is kind of another, like, go out and and do something for Jesus, and go out and yay, and and sure, go for that. Uh, I think that's kind of hard for some of us, so it is a challenge. But actually, the challenge I want to look at this morning is is a different kind of challenge. I actually think it's the greatest challenge anyone, any follower of Jesus, will ever, ever face. The greatest challenge, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, I believe it's the greatest challenge you ever face because it's this. It's the challenge to persevere. It's the challenge to trust God. It's the challenge to have faith in God when your entire world is falling apart, when your world is crumbling, when you feel as if there's no hope, when everything is falling apart, falling through your hands. That is a challenge. And it's a challenge to to continue to call out to God. It's a challenge to trust God in that. And so I want to talk about that today, and I want you to know something right off the bat. And it's this, Jesus understands. He understands when your world's falling apart. He understands when you feel great anguish, when you feel great sorrow, when you feel just this this pressure of the world upon you. He completely understands. He totally gets it. In Matthew chapter 26, we find that Jesus is in this place called Gethsemane. And the word Gethsemane in the Hebrew means the place of pressing. And what it was, it was a place where people would bring their olives and they would press them to get the oil out of the olives. They would bring their grapes and press it to get the juice out, to make wine. And so it's very apropos that Jesus goes to this place, the place of pressing, and he has this prayer to God. And so I just want to say to you today that you might have a Gethsemane. There's a good chance you do. That there, You might have a couple of them. You might have several. You might be in the middle of a Gethsemane right now where you feel as if your world is, is just pressing in. Jesus gets that. Listen to these words in Matthew 26, and I'm going to read actually from the message, which is a paraphrase, but I love the way Eugene Peterson, the words he uses And so I encourage you later, your your favorite version of the Bible that you read, go and, and read Matthew 26. But I want you to hear this this morning. It says this starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a garden called Gethsemane, right, place of pressing, and told his disciples, stay here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and two sons of Zebedee, Listen to these words, folks. This is this, is this place of, of, of agony. He said, he plunged into agonizing sorrow. 
See, when you go through agonizing sorrow, when you feel agonizing sorrow, I want you to hear this today, Jesus gets that because he has too. See, a lot of us, we think we're alone when we go through sorrow. We think, we, we believe a lie that nobody else gets it, nobody understands, but the truth is, Jesus completely gets it. So Jesus is praying and he plunges into agonizing sorrow. This is Jesus we're talking about. And then he said, this sorrow, have you ever prayed this kind of prayer before? This sorrow is crushing my life out. You ever felt that way before? Then he said, and then then he's speaking to his disciples and he says, stay here and keep vigil with me. Don't leave me alone, stay here with me. Keep vigil with me. Going a little ahead, he, he fell on his face crying. Have you ever done that before? In your Gethsemane? You ever found yourself just just falling on the ground crying? I call those the carpet-sucking prayers. And there's two things that happen in the carpet-sucking prayers. One is you're crying out to God, and the other is you're saying, wow, I need to get this rug cleaned. It's true. You're just falling on your face, crying out to God in agony. The deep sorrow that you feel. The giant question mark looming over something in your life. Jesus gets this. He fell on his face praying, my father, if there is any way. See, Jesus gets those prayers that you pray. If there's any way, get me out of this. If there's any way, get me out of this. But please, ah, here's the thing. But please, not what I want. You, what do you want? When he came back to his disciples, he found them sound asleep. Remember, he asked them, keep vigil with me. He found them sound asleep. And he said to Peter, can't you stick it out with me a single hour? You ever felt alone? Jesus gets that. Going on to verse 42. He then left them a second time, and again he prayed, my father, if there is no other way than this, if there's no other way than this, I mean, do you hear the desperation in his voice? If there's no other way than this, drinking this cup to the dregs, I'm ready, do it your way. When he came back, he again found them sound asleep. They simply couldn't keep their eyes open, and this time he let them sleep on. And he went back a third time, going over the same ground one last time. God, please, Father, please. If there's any other way. See, Jesus gets you when you think there's no other way. Jesus gets you when you feel like everything has been pressed out of you. He gets it. Jesus gets you when when you feel as if no one is there beside you. He gets it. And that's the challenge for you and I today is to say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. I mean, we see these words that Jesus says, if there is no other way than this, not what I want, you, what do you want? And therein lies the challenge for you and me. Can we get to that place? Can we get to that place where we pray that kind of prayer? We've been pressed. We've been pressed. We have Gethsemanes in our life. We've been pressed. And here's Jesus, and he's in agony. He's suffering. He's in desperation because he knows the pain that's coming his way. 
right? There's physical pain in store for Jesus. And sometimes thinking about physical pain is worse than the actual physical pain. It happens sometimes. Sometimes worrying about that. I have this vivid, vivid memory of being in kindergarten. And I guess it was immune shot day at school. I'm in kindergarten. I don't read the notes that go home to the parents, so I don't know anything about it. And the next thing I know, they're lining people up in the hallway to go down and get a shot. And I'm at the back of the line having a five-year-old anxiety attack, freaking out about what's about to happen, hearing people whimpering and crying up at the front of the line. I mean, I am freaking out, and my principal comes up, and he sees me, obviously, in great distress, and I told him I was scared, I was scared. And he said, it's okay, it's okay, come with me. And I'm thinking, salvation has come, I don't have to get a shot. And what does Mr. Dowdell do? He walks my tail to the front of the line. <laughs> and you think that's such great torture for a five-year-old. It seems so unjust at the time. But here's what my principal knew, that I needed to go ahead and get that over with because the fear of standing in the line was gonna be much greater than when I actually got that shot put in my arm. See, sometimes thinking about the physical pain is so much. Jesus knows the physical pain he's about to endure and it is agonizing. And not only is it the physical pain that he's, that he's cr crying out, but it is real spiritual pain. See, remember, he is fully man, so yeah, he's worried about the pain, but he is also fully divine. And so he's about to go and do something miraculous, and that is this, folks, take on the sins of the world. Now, see, as Christians, we make that statement. We're like, yeah, he took on the sins of the world. Think about it. You can't take on your own sins. It's messing you up. It's debilitating you. It's keeping you from being all you should be. So think about Jesus taking on the sins of the world, and he's going through this immense spiritual pain. And in the process of that, because he's taken on the sins of the world, there's going to be a time period when he is separated from God because God is holy and can have nothing to do with sin. So he is going through this physical sorrow, physical agony. He's going through spiritual pain, knowing that he's taking on this stuff and he's going to be separated from God. And this is immense. God, is there no other way? And then not only that, but as we see from his disciples He's doing it alone. He's doing it alone. He's brought them along. He even pulled out three of the, of the larger group and said, come with me a little bit further. Would you pray with me? Would you keep vigil with me? And he's doing it alone because they can't even stay awake. See, Jesus gets it when you feel pressed. In your Gethsemane, Jesus understands. And so he's got the physical pain and the spiritual pain, and here he is, and he's all alone his heart was craving sympathy, but his disciples couldn't stay awake because he's fighting a battle for all of humanity. And he's all alone. He's, he's dealing with the powers of hell who want to destroy him. They're thinking, yeah, kill him, put him on the cross. Satan will win. And he's all alone. He's lonely. He's desperately lonely. And in this extreme agony, he finds himself and he's praying. Father, is there any other way? Is there, is, is there any other way? But then he says, not my will, but yours. It hurts to say those words. It's agonizing to say, not my will, but yours. Because when we actually say those words, and there's even a little bit of truth in them, we're saying, God, you're in control. 
And that's hard. That's hard. If there's one lesson we can see in this Gethsemane, it's this, that when we know people who are going through it, that we need to be there and pray with them. We need to come alongside of them. We need to be present with them because that's what Jesus desired of his disciples. But there's a greater lesson here in Gethsemane. There's a greater lesson and we see it in Jesus. There is victory, folks. There is victory in surrendering to God. And when I use that word victory, what I don't mean is suddenly there's no more agony and suddenly there's no more suffering and suddenly you don't feel pressed anymore. I don't mean that. I wish I could mean it, but it's not true, so I'd be lying to you. But what I mean is there's victory when we surrender to God because then we're saying, you've got me. You've got me. You've got me. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's coming around the corner. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But not my will, Father, yours. What do you want, God? What do you want? So if you've been in the Gethsemane, if you've been in that place, I just want you to hear it again. Jesus gets you. He understands. You might be in it right now. You might be feeling that press on you right now. And Jesus understands. I've asked Lisa Browning if she would come and share a little bit with us this morning. Um, I would say that Lisa's fully aware of the Gethsemane experience. Um, Lisa's firstborn, her, her not-so-little Brian, he, uh, he passed away um, at the age of 20, at the beginning of February this year. And, um, and I know that, that God has been, well, he's been, he's been with you all the time, hasn't he? He has. Um, but Lisa, would you tell us a little bit about, um, about Brian? Um, what were some of his irresistible qualities that, that made him who he was? He was irresistible. <laughs> um, he, uh, he had an, uh, a contagious sense of humor. Um, he knew how to take it before and after the car accident. Uh-huh. He didn't lose, through his traumatic brain injury, he did not lose his spirit. Um, he couldn't do things for himself physically, but God gifted him with the same personality. Thank goodness. Um, he continued to have the love of God that he had before the car accident when he had accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior at nine years old. Um, And that happened? That happened actually um, five days before our car accident. We um, actually came to the pastor, um, Tommy Mason at the time, and uh, little Brian met with us because his dad and I grew up Baptist, and so we said, Tommy, um, does he need to wait? to go through confirmation. And he said, oh no, he can go before the church because he wanted to shout it before mm-hmm. the church. He was ready. And um, he had just gotten back from an Epworth trip. Um, and so um, that was on a Sunday that we met with Tommy in his office and the car accident happened the following Friday. And so I knew where his heart was mm-hmm. and I could see it in him even though he couldn't fully communicate it. He, his favorite music riding in the van um, 
you know, after the car accident, taking him from place to place, all over the place for every therapy known under the sun. Um, it was Caleb. Mm -hmm. And he could actually sing out some of it, like some of the some of the verses that were r repetitive. He mm -hmm. could he could voice those out. And um, before uh, the car accident, he used to run. He started running in road races, and he loved turtles. And he used to say, um, if he you know he wouldn't come in first, but he'd go, <laughs> "Slow and steady wins the race, Mama. Slow and steady wins the race." And so that is almost a life lesson that I've learned over this journey. Slow and steady wins the race. Mm. Just keep pressing. So there was a car accident when he was nine mm -hmm. and uh, that caused the traumatic brain injury. Right. Um, what, if you can even put into words, were those times like, what were your conversations like with God in that Gethsemane, in that place of yes. feeling pressed and that agony. And I, I, I felt alone. I felt like the weight of the world was on me. I felt like I needed to make his medical decisions. Um, he depended on me totally, and, and I, I had to let go of myself and give it to God and say, I, I can't, you know, the doctors are telling me one thing, but I've got to, I've got to pray about it. I've got to give it to you, God. And if it doesn't turn out the way I think it's supposed to, mm -hmm. I, and, and I tried to force it for about seven years and I finally, it takes a long time mm -hmm. to really, really hand it over and become accepting. Um, but I handed it over to God finally, but I still did tell the doctors what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that brings up a, a good point, you know, for, for those of us listening to this is obviously Gethsemane is not a one-time deal. No. You, you say you gave it over to God, and I that wasn't the end of it. Right. Right. You say you what? You did what? I would give it to, I would yeah. give it to God, and then I would, the flesh in me would take it back. Mm -hmm. Um, fear um, and um, just sometimes, you know, all we need is faith as tiny as a mustard seed. <laughs> well, sometimes that seemed like a, a whole lot yeah. to try. Um, and then sometimes I would give it right over to him and I, and I would know that I know that I know. Um, and I had this weird calm about me when he had many surgeries, uh, lots of surgeries, and they were major. Um, and for some reason, I would go into this calm. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the last time that he got sick, that before he passed, and he was only sick for a couple of days, um, I got very upset, and I cried, and I called my friend Cynthia, and I and never did I, I, I um, like, need somebody to go with me up to the hospital. I always did it myself, you know, just pushed on. And um, when um, he, he, first off, he had only been sick for a couple of days. He, was, he went to school on Friday, 
and um, I had him by myself that weekend and threw up on Saturday once, threw up on Sunday once, and I thought he had a virus because everybody's had one lately. And um, I said, well, I'm <clears throat> keeping him home from school on Monday. He only threw up one time on Monday. Tuesday morning he woke up with 103.5 fever and he had a um, indwelling catheter, so, and it was full of blood, his bag was full of blood. So I called urology, he said, I'm in surgery, but I'll be at the office in three hours. <laughs> and um, put little Brian to bed and he went to sleep and he never woke up. So got him to the doctor's office, he immediately put him in ICU and um, he wasn't even there for two days. Um, I thought that he, I, maybe people thought, well, he's not going to live long, but I knew everything about him. It was, I was shocked. It, it was not a long sickness, although it might seem like that to people, but he was always happy through it all. And just he had so, he, he impacted so many people at the high school and his 42 girlfriends <laughs> <laughs> that he had. Um, and, um, and, and the way that he uh, looked at his brothers and the way they looked at him was um, it was heartwarming always and and I'll tell you if their friends came over and um, they accepted him I mean from when he was nine and um, and I, kids sometimes aren't they, sometimes they're very gracious and sometimes they're not. So that's a really Oh, cool they thing. always were. Yeah. Like, um, always. When um, the brother's friends would come over, um, and he, little Brian had um, SpongeBob humor, <laughs> I would call it. Um, and uh, in fact, we were going to get t shirts made. Um, that's his, his latest phrase that he would say was, you're not fat, you're not ugly. So we were going to get t-shirts made that say, you're not fat, you're not ugly. And, uh, and uh, anyway, Anna Deloach was going to help me with that, and we're going to do some sort of graphic on it and sell them and raise money for um, Scottish Rite in Atlanta, Children's Health Care of Atlanta, where he was so many times. But um, we were going to do that. Let me ask you this. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that you have heard this phrase for, for the 11 years that, that Brian was uh, dealing with traumatic brain injury. The whole family was. Mm -hmm. Lisa, you're so strong. Uh, Did you hear that a lot? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure sometimes you were faking it really well. It, and it, it's, not, it's not that I was faking it. It was that... Um, I had to be. Mm -hmm. um, I had to be. But y'all didn't see me in my closet, on the carpets, mm -hmm. on my knees, mm -hmm. banging my hands on the floor crying. And, and, and everybody handles things differently, but my way, and it kind of still is, 
is that I don't know. I think he gave me, he showed me strength. Mm -hmm. If he could endure all of that and wake up from surgery and be happy, <laughs> then he just taught me strength. It, it, um, and and, and he, he taught me to love the least of these. He taught me to notice people in wheelchairs or people that um, might have mental or physical disabilities that mm -hmm. I never looked down upon before, but I just looked over. Mm. And it's okay. And that is the love of the least of these. He taught me. So he taught me courage, and it wasn't that, and it's not that I don't feel the agony. It's not <laughs> yeah. that I don't feel it, because, oh, do I feel it. Well, and so for 11 years, you are, as, you know, we were talking on the phone the other day, you were like, I know what he's taking in. I know what's coming out. You knew everything. You knew every breath. You know, you, you yes. kept Logs, meticulous things. Records. So 11 yes. years of this, and then you're not. Um, what, so, so you're in a Gethsemane from the accident. You feel that, mm -hmm. and now you're on, on this side in mourning. Mm -hmm. and, and basically your day-to-day -day life has completely changed now. Oh, yes. What's, what has been in this Gethsemane? What, have, what has God been speaking to you? What has he shown you um, in his word and, and in prayers? Well, um, I felt a little bit like Jesus in that sometimes I want people around, and sometimes I'm like, I don't. I just need to, I, I need to be there. I'm trying to balance mm -hmm. the, the grief and the, the busyness. The busyness can lead to denial of, of what you really need to go through. And, and when you told me what you were talking about, a, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I was actually crying out to God. And I said, and I, and I wasn't thinking of, of the passage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just, I said, God, please take this cup from me. I cannot take it another second. Mm -hmm. I feel like my heart's being ripped out. My child should not go before me. And he said, I'm, I'm not going to take the cup from you. This is a fire you're going to have to walk through, but I will be with you every step of the way. And and I know that he is, but I still have these feelings of um, all kinds of feelings with grief. Sometimes it's sadness. Sometimes it's anger. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's guilt because I felt like that because I knew so much about him, I thought, how could I not know? How could I not know? I just thought he had a virus. I didn't know he had sepsis and pneumonia. He never coughed, not one time. And he had never had pneumonia. And the overwhelming guilt that will rise up in me. And then my precious, loving, holy father will say to me, Lisa, Lisa. 
there's no condemnation. You have nothing to feel guilty about. That is from right. Satan. That's it's right. not from me. And I'll, I'll give, it, give it away, and then something will happen. I'll be really sensitive or... I don't know. It, it'll, it'll come back. But I don't stay in that place. And I, and I think what, what you're saying there is, is those words that God spoke to you is, I will, I'll be with you, I'll, you know, I'm with you in this, is that for a lot of us, I think we think that Gethsemane's got to be a one-time deal, that if it's something that's brought great sorrow, something that's crushed our spirit, something that's hurt us so much, that if we can just have that one-time prayer, then we're good to go. Mm-mm. But it's, it's a, I'm, I'm being pressed today, Lord, fill me up. Right. Okay, oh, now the next day, Lord, I'm being pressed today, fill me up. Right. And then the next day, and it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. Yes. Um, it's a journey, uh-huh. and, and it feels like your cup is empty sometimes. And like you, you just need him to fill it up. And the only way to do that is through a relationship with him. Because if we don't talk to him, if we don't talk to people, mm-hmm. we don't have a relationship with him. If we don't talk to God, if we don't study His Word, we don't know Him. Mm-hmm. And that is the only way to fill our cup up. And that's what I was going to ask you, though. So, so for the person sitting in here today, or maybe they're going to listen to the podcast later, or they're watching us on Facebook Live, you can wave over there. At little thing. Oh, hey. Um, <laughs> but for oh. the person that is listening to this, in whatever form it is, sitting here in this room or later... And they're in Gethsemane right now. Whatever that Gethsemane is, maybe the, a relationship has fallen apart or, or, or maybe there's the, the diagnosis that's looming or mm-hmm. financial. I mean, Gethsemane represents everything. I mean, yes, life. It does. And um, for that person, what do you tell them? What, what have you learned about your God mm. through this Gethsemane? Well... This is not something I had, but um, I was praying between the services, and um, God said, I need you to go to Jeremiah with them, um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and because your Gethsemane might not be like mine. Mine is missing my child every minute of the day but being joyful that I have three wonderful boys to love on and to minister to the rest of their lives and the rest of my life Um, and to honor the legacy that little Brian had that he made an impact on so many people. But my prayer for um, those that are going through trials might be grief. It might be a diagnosis of a horrible diagnosis, but God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you're in prison, 
That means that your soul is in captivity and your soul might be in chains, the things that bind us. Mm -hmm. Whether it be anger, resentment, guilt, pride, any of those things can bind us up and He, that is the only way, He will bring us back from the captivity and the chains that bind us. And, and grief is a process and, and, and it's going to take time, and I know everybody handles it differently. Um, and I often wondered through this journey that I've been on these past 11 years, I thought, I, I used to pray, God, what do you want me to do with all this? All this stuff? Write a book? What do you want? There's so many things. And, you know, God either says, Yes, no, or wait. <laughs> he just kept saying, wait, wait. And, and you know, if, if, if I can help one person through what my family has gone through and what we are going through, because this journey is not over, you know, I feel like that I'm fulfilling what God is calling me to do. And, and I kept thinking that while I was going through that, mm -hmm. those 11 years, that he wanted me to do something then, but it wasn't then because he knew I was way too busy mm -hmm. to do it. And the fact that you're talking about this today and the fact that I just had cried out to God with that exact thing, take this cup from me. When you called me, I thought, wow, that's not a coincidence. No. Because I certainly wasn't thinking about Gethsemane whenever <laughs> I was doing it. Yeah. Um, but, but my prayer is that, that that person going through trials will, will just dig into the Word. And, and faith is really... Faith is a hard thing. Mm -hmm. John got it first whenever we were uh, all very, very upset after LeBron's passing. We're riding in the car, and he stopped, and he looked up, and he goes, It's okay, Mama. And he looks up like he really saw Little Brian, and he said, Little Brian's in a big mansion in heaven. And he is not in a wheelchair. He's running and he's playing soccer. And I mean, he just like, and I was like, childlike faith. He mm -hmm. got it. He got it first. Usually that happens, isn't it? Yeah. You know, to wade through a lot of muck and, and stuff that we do in our... And I hold on to that. And then there's the human response of, I miss him so much. And then there's the childlike faith that my youngest child showed me, like, I think this was maybe the day of the funeral. I don't remember. It was very, very soon. And um, I try to remember that. And I, I also, uh, I lean on my boys some, too. Yeah. I do. As as we've said a few times, as I've said a few times, I know that Gethsemane, uh, that place of pressing, it'll be there tomorrow. 
mm-hmm. and it'll be there the next day. And, and it's there for all of us at different times and different seasons in our right. life. And it's that faith in God that's really, really, uh, even, even the tiniest amount right. we can have. Um, and so I thank you so much for sharing. I thank you for what um, God is, is teaching you and your boys. Um, you know, as I told you when I asked, I said, you know what, hey, this might be way too fresh and way too soon. But I know that whenever God wants to speak through you, um, he will use it um, for his glory. Right. And there's no doubt that he is doing that today and that he will continue to do that through you. Um, I'd like to pray for Lisa. Let, let's pray for her and, and her family now. Um, Lord, we ask that you would, when, when Lisa feels pressed, Lord, that you would fill her up. And, then, and the next day that you would fill her up. And the next day you would fill her up. And Lord, you would continue to speak to her through your word, by your Holy Spirit, that you would continue to surround her with people who are keeping vigil with her. That you would continue to surround the boys with friends and, and godly people who love them and support them. Lord, and that you would fill them up when they feel pressed and crushed and hurt. You would fill them up, Lord, with faith, with hope, with that beautiful knowledge of where Brian is. Lord, surround this family and continue to work in them. And God, we thank you for Brian and the life he lived and the many, 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 many people that he blessed. And we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you all thank Lisa for sharing with us this morning? Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Um, we're about to sing a song that some of you may know. We've sung it before in here. But I pulled out just a few of the lyrics because, my goodness. Thanks for listening to the Solomon's Porch Podcast. We hope you heard some good practical news in this episode that you can apply to your life. If you'd like, we'd love for you to review our podcast on iTunes and share it with your friends. You can also support our ministry by going to theporchvaldasa.com slash give. Until next time, stay classy, listening friends.